Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11 is where we're going. As soon as I tell you the title of the message, you'll know why it's controversial. The title of the message is Keeping the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath. Well, is it, is it important? What is the Sabbath? What does it mean to keep it? I'm going to begin by just really kind of shaking you up, and I'm going to, I'm going to make an outrageous statement. I'm going to tell you that keeping the Sabbath is important, and I'm going to tell you that it is extremely important because if you don't keep the Sabbath, ultimately you're going to die. You're going to die. Did you know that under the Mosaic Law, break, the penalty for breaking the Sabbath was death? It was death. There was a man stoned to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. That's how serious it is. And if you don't keep the Sabbath, you will die. You say, well, I'm not under the Mosaic Law. No, you're not. Neither am I. But that law pointed to something much greater. And if you don't keep that law, if you don't keep the Sabbath, if you don't enter into what the Sabbath is pointing to, you will die. So what is the Sabbath? Well, we're going to begin... I'm going to begin by looking at Genesis 2. And the reason why I'm going to go there, this is not the Mosaic Law. But I do know a lot of people who are proponents of Sunday being the Christian Sabbath and who are trying, who, who would like to establish and say that we are obligated to observe a day for the Sabbath. They will point to Genesis and they'll say, see, God rested on the seventh day, so the Sabbath is a creation ordinance. It's not just under the Mosaic Law. And so because of that, we're going to look at it. Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. And then we'll look at Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So under the Mosaic Law, the Sabbath day was the seventh day, Saturday. It was the day, and it was set apart for rest. Now, the Sabbath was given to Israel in the Mosaic Law for two reasons. Number one, it was a day of rest and worship. That's what you were to do on that day. And number two, it was a reminder to Israel, and it was a testimony to the nations it's not just a reminder to Israel, but it's a testimony to the nations that the Lord, Yahweh, was Israel's greatest treasure and their provider. 
You see, if I am the one who am providing for my needs, then setting aside a day, a perfectly good day, and doing nothing makes no sense whatsoever. Especially if I'm in need. If I've got a crop that needs to come in, for me to just stop what I'm doing for a day and just let that crop wait. You know, the farmers have a saying called, make hay when the sun shines. And that means you got a good day, you need to go out there and get that work done, because it may be raining tomorrow. You get it done today. And so, from a human perspective, to take a perfectly good day, when you feel good and the weather's beautiful and there's work to be done, there's crops to be gathered, and just say, you know what, I'm just going to set today. That makes no sense whatsoever if you're the one responsible for what you receive, if it's up to you. And so this is a testimony not only to Israel but to the nations around them because that does make no sense. It makes no sense to do that. And so that immediately is going to catch people's attention. It immediately catches their attention that what are these people doing? You know, they don't work. They don't, they don't do anything on this day. They just stop. Well, the reason why they stop is they are, it is a reminder to them that the crops they receive, the blessings they receive, they're not the one ultimately providing those. Those are coming from God. Their provision, their sustenance, everything that they have comes from God. And then it's also a testimony to the nations. Their God provides for them. Their God is the one providing for them. They are resting in their God's provision. That's the reason why they set this day apart. That's what it was about. Well, I've got a spoiler for you. Israel failed miserably. They failed miserably at worshiping God, and they failed miserably at keeping the Sabbath. And they continued to fail until finally in 586 B.C., God sent them into exile for 70 years as a result of their failure, not just to keep the Sabbath, but their failure to worship God the way he prescribed for them to do so. So in 586 B.C., God sent them into exile because they broke this covenant that God had made with them, and they continued to break it. And they broke it, and they broke it, and they broke it. And so the ultimate result of that is God sent them into exile. Well, when they came back from the exile, many of the religious leaders of Israel determined that they were going to prevent this from happening again. They're going to prevent Israel from failing in this again. And they're going to do it by adding more laws to what God had added. They're going to add more laws to what God had said. And what they're going to do is they're going to build a hedge to try to legally and externally keep the people from breaking the Sabbath by putting more laws. Does that sound familiar? We live in a legal system kind of like that, don't we? We stack laws on top of laws trying to restrain people and keep them in line and get them to do what they're supposed to do. There was a whole book of rabbinical laws just concerning the Sabbath. Now, this is not Scripture. This is what's added to it. I'm going to give you some examples 
And it's going to seem kind of ridiculous for some of them. You should not look in a mirror on the Sabbath because you might be tempted to pluck out a gray hair, which would be reaping. That's work. You could not eat an egg laid on the Sabbath unless you killed the chicken for breaking the Sabbath. Serious. You could not light a lamp or put one out on the Sabbath. You had to light it before the Sabbath, and you better put enough oil in it to burn all day if you wanted that light on. You were allowed to eat radishes on the Sabbath, but you were warned against dipping them in salt because you might let them stay in the salt too long, which would pickle the radish, and that would be work. And that would break the Sabbath. It was okay to spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but you couldn't spit on the ground on the dirt because that would make mud, and mud is mortar, which is work. I'm serious. Those laws were on the books. This is the background for the two events that we're going to look at in today's text. The truth is that 500 years after returning from the Babylonian captivity, except for a very small remnant, this is in Jesus' day, except for a very small remnant, the Jews are still not keeping the Sabbath. They thought they were. They had all of these laws, all of these boxes that they would check, and they would make a big show of keeping the Sabbath. By keeping all of these ordinances, but in reality they were not. I want to submit something to you. And, and please don't tune out for the rest of the sermon just because of what I say if it makes you mad. But just engage with it and think about it. I hope that none of you are, but there are some of you here possibly that consider yourself to be Sabbath keepers by observing a day. You're not. You're not keeping the Sabbath by observing a day. Whether you observe it on Sunday or whether you're a Seventh-day Adventist and you observe it on Saturday, which is the actual day. And and by the way, the Scripture never moved the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. Never. That's the reason why the Seventh-day Adventists exist, because they see that. Now, in the Reformed tradition, we do meet on Sunday, and we do it because Jesus rose on the first day of the week. And it was the first day, and that's why we traditionally meet on the first day. We call it the Lord's Day. And that's when we meet because we are meeting to celebrate the risen Christ, basically, in our worship. But whenever we, if if you think... You see, what these people were doing with all these little laws that they made up and all these extra things that they put on the book that weren't actually biblical, they weren't actually Scripture, what they were doing is they created a bunch of boxes that they could check that would make them feel like they were right before God because they were observing this day. And if you think that by going to a certain place... On a certain day, you're observing the day, you're just checking one of those boxes. If you think because you don't 
go out to eat on Sunday, you're keeping the Sabbath. That's just checking one of those boxes. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. If you think that you are keeping the Sabbath because you refuse to work at a job that requires you to work on Sunday sometimes, all you're doing is checking one of these boxes. You're not keeping the Sabbath. That is not Sabbath keeping. So now that I've made you mad, we're going to get into the text. We'll start with verse, well, I'm going to read through the whole thing and then we'll work back through it. Now, it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath. And his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priest alone, and gave it to his companions. And he was saying to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath, so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. Two different incidents where Jesus is going to come into conflict with this religious tradition, this this, uh, Judaism, this Jewish religious tradition that they were following and trying to, in the flesh, to keep the Sabbath. He's going to come into conflict conflict with it. Verses 1 through 5, he and his disciples are out walking, and they're walking through some grain fields on a Sabbath day. And evidently they're hungry, so they're picking the grains, and they're, they're rubbing it. would be kind of like eating sunflower seeds and rubbing the husk off and getting what's good on the inside and then eating it. That's what they're doing. Which, well, obviously, that's work. You're peeling that seed. Especially if you think about that in context of these little laws that I just read. And you can't even pluck a a gray whisker out because it might be considered to be reaping. Well, that's what's going on. That's the idea. But here's the thing. What the disciples were doing there was actually perfectly legal according to the Word of God, to pick those grains as they're walking along and eating. There's not a word in the law of Moses that would prohibit the disciples from picking those heads of grain and eating them on the Sabbath as they walk. There actually, now, there was law um, that would regulate how far you could walk, and the Scripture doesn't address that to us. 
We don't know whether they were walking within the prescribed distance or not, but there's nothing to stop them from picking that grain and eating it. As a matter of fact, that's what the grain was left standing for, was for those that are hungry to pick it and eat it as they're walking along. It was only unlawful according to the Jewish religious traditions. That's the first point. The second point is Jesus is going to remind them of a, the way he's going to answer this, he's going to remind them of a historical incident to correct their faulty understanding of the law and their faulty understanding of the Sabbath. And what he's going to go to is he's going to go to David. And whenever David, uh, he's quoting from 1 Samuel chapter 21, and I'm going to go there. I'm going to go to 1 Samuel. And what had happened, if you remember the story, is... Saul was getting more and more, King Saul, who was David's father-in-law, he's the king, he's Jonathan's dad, he's the first king of Israel, and he's also very jealous, he's sinned against God, and God has told him through the prophet Samuel, the kingdom's going to be taken from you and given to David, and he doesn't like it. And because of that... It's becoming more and more obvious that he's hostile toward David and that he intends to kill him. And David and and Jonathan work out this plan to find out if Saul is really going to try to kill David or not. And, And their plan brings the information that they're looking for. And it comes down to it, yes, Saul is going to kill David if he can. So David flees from Saul. And he's fleeing from Saul, and he's got some men following him. And in chapter 21, it says, Then David came to Nob, which is a place, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and with which I have commissioned you, and I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out, and the vessels of the young men were holy, though it was an ordinary journey. How much more then today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. And so what the bread of the presence was is there was always fresh bread set out in the temple. And that bread is, I mean, we could get into types and shadows and that being a shadow of Christ and all of these things, but we're not going to go there. The point is this bread was only for the priests to eat, according to the law. It was just for the priests, for those working in the temple. And David, when he's fleeing from Saul, he goes into the temple He eats this bread, he and the young men that are following him, and there's no condemnation from God. So what has happened here is the ceremonial law is set aside. 
in order to meet the immediate need of God's people. So Jesus is going to quote that. He's going to bring that up. And then he's going to make three illustrative statements about what he says, two of which aren't included in Luke's account. He makes three statements about this after he brings it up, that David went in and ate the bread that was only for the priests. Two of them aren't in Luke's account. Um, but I'm going to read all three of the accounts because they are in the other two gospels, the other two synoptic gospels, um, Matthew and Mark. And I'm going to read them so that to help us understand and get a full picture of what's going on here in this um, confrontation between Jesus and these religious people. So the first one we go to is Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. I'm going to read the same account I just read from Luke. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Jesus is making an extremely radical statement here. You know what he just told them? If loving God, what, what, is the, what two commandments do all of the law and the prophets hang on? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And you'll love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second. The first and second. And Jesus tells us at another place that on those two hang all the law and the prophets. If loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself comes in conflict with your religious tradition and your religious practice, God desires love and mercy. Not tradition and sacrifice. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's a radical statement. That'll get you in trouble in a lot of churches today. That claim to love the Lord. And he's making it in a very law-driven environment. Remember the context. Now let's look at the the next passage from Mark chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 23. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? 
And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need? And he and his companions became hungry. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath was not given to man as a burden. And it's not a sacrifice by which man can earn some sort of right standing before God. That's not what the Sabbath was about. The Sabbath day was given to man as a blessing. It was meant as a day of rest, communion with God in Christ, because it was a type and a shadow to point the people to their dependence on God for everything. That's what it was about. It was to point the people to their dependence on God, their need to rest in Him. Not just for physical rest, not just for my groceries and my security temporally, but to rest in God for everything. And see, they flipped it upside down. I'm going to try not to get ahead of myself in this, but they're working real hard to try to keep the Sabbath instead of resting. It's an upside-down situation, and that's why Jesus is confronting it. And then the third thing that he's going to do, let's read, just read verse 5 of Luke chapter 6. And he was saying to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's a wonder they didn't stone him right there. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. They're already mad at him. Wouldn't you have liked to have seen the look on their faces when he said that? You know, some people have tried to say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Obviously, they've never read this. Who was it that instituted the Sabbath to begin with? And he's saying, I'm the Lord of it. He just effectively told them, I'm Yahweh. The Sabbath belongs to me. I not only have the right to define it, but I also have the right to define what it means to keep it. That's what he just told them. So let's look at verses 6 and 7. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. Now, to, to imagine this scene, you have to kind of envision the inside of the synagogue. And it's kind of a circular building, you know, with seats out here. But up here on this platform area, you're going to have what is called the Bema or Bema seat. And then you're going to have some seats over here and over here. And these seats over here and over here are the chief seats in the synagogue. That's where the, the Pharisees are going to be sitting. That's where the scribes are going to be sitting. And this Bama seat, you know, whenever, um, 
we read earlier in Luke when Jesus went into the synagogue and he went and he read the scroll from Isaiah was handed to him and he read it and then he went and sat down and began to teach. Well, he went and sat down on this Bema seat, this right in the center, facing all of the common area of the synagogue. And on his right and left are these chief seats and that's where the scribes and the Pharisees are sitting. So, that's what it looks like. From their vantage point, they can see Jesus, and they can also see this man out here with the withered hand. They can see who all's out here. And they, they, they know that man's present, and even though nothing has been said yet, they know Jesus' reputation as a healer. They know his reputation for compassion, and they know that he has no regard for their religious traditions. They know that he has challenged them time after time. They know that that they're pretty certain of what's going to happen already, and they're planning it. The question is, will he heal this man? They can see him. They know Jesus is here. You can just, the tension in the air is probably thick. And they're just waiting with bated breath. Is he going to heal this man? They already know the answer. They're working on their accusations in their minds. They're already working on it. How are we going to use this against him? This man who's undermining our authority. He's going to heal this guy. How are we going to use it against him? Let's look at verse 8. But he knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Now, I want you to understand something here. You know, we, we, we read that and it's easy not to think about this. But, you know, Jesus didn't have to heal that guy. He didn't have to do it right then. He could have read some scripture. Like he'd done before, he could have preached a message. He could have healed the man tomorrow. That's not what he did. Instead, he did the most loving thing that he could do for those Pharisees and for everyone else that's watching. He confronts their religious tradition this religious tradition that they thought was earning them a right standing with God. They were trying to establish their own righteousness by observing this day, along with many other things. And he confronts it head on. He calls the man up front and center. And he heals him on the Sabbath day right in front of the religious leaders. But before he does it, he asks him a question. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? You know, Jesus was a, because he knew what was in man and he knows no one was ever going to outwit him. 
or catch him by surprise. And so this question that he asked these religious leaders, it exposes their hypocrisy. It exposes their lack of understanding concerning the Sabbath. They thought they were keeping the Sabbath by checking their boxes. They thought they were keeping the Sabbath with all these little laws that they had made up to try to make sure that nobody did anything that could be constituted as work. And they think they're keeping the Sabbath, but at the same time, they're plotting in their hearts on how they're going to destroy Jesus for doing good. You're talking about irony. Now, you ought to understand something. Jesus taught in Matthew 5.17 that he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. The Sabbath day in the law was a shadow. It was a shadow. It pointed to a substance which is found in Christ. It pointed to a substance that is found in Christ. Let me, let me read you something from Colossians. Chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 8. It's a long passage, but bear with me. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in Him you've been made complete, and He's the head over all rule and authority. And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I've read that whole passage there because you need to understand something. You need to understand who he's talking about in verse 8. When he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, 
rather than according to Christ, he's talking about Judaism. He's talking about the Jewish religious traditions. And these Judaizers are trying to get, they're trying to add Judaism to Christianity. They're trying to say, yeah, it's great to follow Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised in the flesh. And you've got to keep the Sabbath day. You've got to observe this day. And you've got to follow all of these ordinances, and then you'll be right with God. Then you'll be really spiritual. Yeah, believe in Jesus, but keep this law. Do this. And that's what he's warning them again. He's saying, don't let them take you captive to that. And don't let them mix this together. You follow Christ. You look to Him. See, here's the thing. These things are the shadow. Christ is the substance. He's the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Actually, Jesus is the Sabbath. That's what these two events are demonstrating that's why he confronted this this is this is what he's confronting in these interactions the true sabbath is not a day it's not a day the day was a shadow that pointed to the substance which is christ and jesus did not move the sabbath to the first day of the week i said this earlier in the introduction We meet and celebrate on the first day of the week because Jesus rose on the first day of the week. Jesus himself is the Sabbath, the day that was commemorated. And even for those who would point to um, the passage from Genesis and say, well, it's a creation ordinance. It's the same thing there. What is the end of God's work? Christ. God completed His work on the, se- on the sixth day, and on the seventh day He rested. Well, what is the end of all of God's work? It's Christ. Christ is that rest. That's what we're to look to. That's what the whole thing is pointing to, both from Genesis and from Exodus. So if the Sabbath isn't the last day of the week, it's not the first day of the week, then when is it? Yes. For the Christian, the Sabbath is right now resting in Christ. Right now. He's the Lord, our righteousness. Our righteousness does not come from checking a box. Our righteousness is Christ. He's our righteousness. He's our rest. We're not trying to establish our own righteousness. We're perpetually resting in His. That's what it means to keep the Sabbath. Let's, let's read the rest of this. I kind of got ahead of myself. After looking around at them all, He said to him, Stretch out your hand. And He did so, and His hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. Who kept the Sabbath there? I'm going to submit to you that in the first story, the Sabbath was kept by those disciples, not the Pharisees that questioned Jesus, 
about them eating the grain. But the Sabbath was kept by those disciples who were following Jesus through the grain fields, even though it was the Sabbath. And they were resting in Him and His provision. That's who kept the Sabbath. In the second story, who keeps the Sabbath? The second event. The Sabbath is kept by that man with the withered hand that got up and walked up there in front of everybody and believed that Jesus would heal him, and he did. And he was restored. Who broke the Sabbath? Obviously, it was those who refused to rest in the Sabbath that was there, in their midst. So what's that mean to us today? How, how do we keep the Sabbath today? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over to Philippians chapter 3. And you're going to notice some similarities because this is the exact same type of situation that I just read about in Colossians a couple of pages over. It's about the same thing, and Paul is talking about the same people. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Beware of the evil work, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Stop right there. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about those that would force you to have an external circumcision to be in the covenant. He's talking about those who would force you to observe a day to be in the covenant. He's talking about very religious Jewish people. They were very sincere. That's who he's talking about, and he's calling them dogs and evil workers, the false circumcision. And they're going to die. Because that's what they're resting in. They're trying to establish their own righteousness, and they want you to establish yours too, instead of resting in Christ. He says, for we are the true circumcision. This verse right here, this is what it means to keep the Sabbath. We are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That's what it means to keep the Sabbath. That's what it means to keep it today. That's what it means to keep it on Saturday. That's what it means to keep it on Tuesday afternoon whenever you feel like somehow you're righteous because you did something good. Or somehow, or also when you're feeling condemned because you didn't. Either way, you keep the Sabbath with Philippians 3.3. Worship in the Spirit of God. And glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. This is very important. This, this, is, this is the answer to what I said at the beginning. 
If you don't keep the Sabbath, you're going to die. That's why, that's why the penalty for not keeping the Sabbath was death. You're condemned already. John 3 tells us you're condemned already. You're already condemned. You're already under the wrath of God. And if you don't keep the Sabbath, you're going to die. There's only one way you can do it. Worship in the Spirit of God. Glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in a day, a work, a tithe. I'm not telling you not to do those things. Come to church. Do do what the Bible says. We meet together to lift one another up and stir one another up to love and good works. We give unto God those things that are due God. But we keep the Sabbath by putting no confidence in anything but Christ. He is our Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your rest. We thank you for the life that you've given us in Christ and for the joy that you give us and the freedom that you give us. And knowing that there is therefore now no condemnation, not because of any boxes we check or anything we do, but because of what you've done for us in Christ. Lord, would you apply this to our hearts this week and would you help us to rest? Help us to glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.